Kyle Eidelman is a best-selling author and the senior pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the largest churches in America. He's most widely known for his award-winning book, Not a Fan, which has sold more than 1.3 million copies and has sparked an entire movement among believers. Kyle and his wife, Desiree, have four children and they live on a farm where Kyle does no farming. How's it going? Good. Great, great yeah, to see you. Not a farmer. But, not, not a farmer. That's but, one of my dreams, actually. Really? I want to move to Middle Tennessee okay. or somewhere like this. Yeah. And, and I want a little John Deere out on the back 40 and, 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 a, and a, maybe just a cow and a pig for some bacon and hamburgers yeah. somewhere down the well, road. It's, it's, great as a, it's great as a dream, you know, yeah. and, and we do love it. But there's a fair amount of work. The gentleman's farm is maybe more your, your like, style. Than, yeah. you're right. Actually, my wife grew up on a farm in Kansas, and she loves all of that. So... Yeah, I get to enjoy the beauty of it. About it. She takes care of it. So excited to talk with you today and to talk about this book and this, this topic of resilience, this topic of persistence, of faith that endures. Uh, we want to finish well. Um, but before we get into that, uh, for those who aren't familiar, can you talk a little bit about your journey to Christ? Yeah. How'd you come to faith? Yeah. So I grew up in a Christian home, learned all the foundations of faith, um, was usually in church on the weekends and VBS and camp and all of that. Okay. Uh, so I knew a lot about Jesus. I knew a lot about scripture, uh, but it wasn't until I was in college that I started to make a connection that it wasn't just knowing about, it was knowing. And um, in my book, Not a Fan that you referenced, that's kind of my journey mm. um, along that path of fan to follower, of going from somebody who knows about Jesus to really wanting to know him in a much deeper, more personal way. Uh, the idea of being a fan is someone who follows Jesus close enough. You get the benefits from it, uh, but not so close that it requires anything from you. And so it was in college where I started to make that my own and um, recognize that I had settled for kind of this fan approach to my relationship with Jesus. And I needed to uh, define that relationship more along the lines of how Jesus defined it in Luke 9, where he says, if you want to follow me, you take up your cross daily and come after me. And, um, and so when I was in college, I began that journey of following him more personally, knowing him more closely. And, um, and that, that's where things started to change. You went out to California, you planted a church. You were only 21 years old mm -hmm. at that time from Louisville to, to, to California. What was that like living the life of a, of a church planter? Yeah, you know, there's a, a verse in Corinthians where Paul talks about our, our weaknesses allow God's strength to be demonstrated, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Mm. And I experienced that as a church planter. I was 21, very naive, had no idea what I was doing. It turns out that that... You think you know everything at 21, I, but yeah, then you I've, quickly realize that, wait yeah, a minute. Now I look back on it now and, and I'm like, how in the world? But, you know, that is like God to demonstrate his power in our in our weakness. And I, I learned as a church planter a level of dependence um, that I, I desperately needed mm. in my life, not just as a church leader, but as a husband, as a father, learning to depend on him and not on my own determination or my own strength. Now you're pastoring a really, really big church, uh, much larger than the little church when it, you were maybe trying to make it big. And you talked about um, learning some important lessons, like not treating a church like a business and reading all the self-help books and leadership books yeah. that can actually, you know, uh, triple the size of your market. Talk, talk about that. Yeah, so I recognize planning a church that there's this risk of 
treating the gospel like a product and treating the church like customers and basing success by how many people come. And it sounds like you could align those things in your analogy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you could, except it leads to some pretty dangerous places, right? Like if, for example, if the gospel is a product and you end up selling it, and if you're selling it, you emphasize the parts of it that are most attractive and you minimize the parts of it that they're most uncomfortable. Ah, that's right. And, And that's... You know, that's not how Jesus ever did it. Jesus didn't do it like that. Right. And so I, I began to recognize, uh, I began to recognize that and, and, you know, not gauging success by the size of an audience, how many people come, how many, you know, to use corporate language, how many customers you have, but instead by faithful service, by uh, being faithful to scripture and to God's word, and then leaving the fruit of that up to God. Why did you move back to Louisville and pastor a giant church? Hurting people, broken people, lost people are the same at a small church as they are at a big church. You just have to make sure that your focus, your heart doesn't doesn't change, that you're not uh, at a bigger church. It's easier to remove yourself from that. It's easier to focus on the crowd. And and having the heart of Jesus means that you're going to stay engaged in those one at a time stories. But admittedly, it's 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 a different job description, yeah. right? Because now you're managing people, ideas, a, a big, it's not a corporation, but a big organization, mm-hmm. uh, and so it is. It's, your plate is full mm-hmm. with so much administrative stuff, and still making time for that. And not only that, keeping your wife and your kids your first ministry. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, you are in a position where your opportunities for impact, influence to a larger crowd of people is significant. So do, do you focus on that too? Do you have an opportunities, do you have opportunities to make sure you and your family are focused on individual stories? So like when you pray with your family, yeah. uh, that's one of the things that we do is that we make sure that we're praying for specific people. Uh, I'll leave here and on Monday, take my son with me on a, on a mission trip, um, you know, halfway yeah. around the world to visit a couple that we pray for as a family, we support as a family, we know the two of them and their stories. And so for me, that's the priority. Like we, we want that value to be uh, modeled within, within our home. Yeah, and, and that's always been a challenge for me. And, and so um, I'm looking forward to uh, reviewing principles from books like yours, uh, Not a Fan, and uh, the book that we're gonna talk about, When Your Way Isn't Working. As someone who's in ministry, where have you found the most challenging places where you tend to slip back into fan mode rather than follower mode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, and I talk about this some in when your way isn't working, but I slip back into that mode when I focus on production. When mm-hmm. I get caught up in um, my task lists, because there's always a lot to do. Yep. When I get caught up in the measurables, like, okay, how many people did we have for this? And, you know, what's the budget for this? When I get caught up in the production pieces, Mm -hmm. it's easy for me to um, underestimate or overlook the priority of connecting with Jesus, which is really one of the reasons I wrote this book was I went down that path too often, focusing on production, and I knew that connection was where my focus needed to be. And, yeah. um, and so hitting reset so that my priority was on connection. Your book, Not a Fan, has resonated with so many people, over uh, 1.2 or 3 million uh, copies sold. Why do you think people are grabbing onto that so much? 
Well, I, I think the the power of the call of Jesus in Luke nine is is simple and and yet is so challenging that it you know it it's compelling. Where he says, "If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me." And that metaphor of going from fan to follower is a journey that, especially in our Western world, many Christians need to make, where they they have they have some belief in Jesus. They've got the believe part down, but the follow part for, for many has been disconnected from belief. And biblically, those things go together. Mm. And so I, I think the book helps connect those pieces yeah. of faith for people. Like, okay, you believe, that's, that, is, that is exactly right. But believing and following, are, they go together. You, they're not... Um, they're not mutually exclusive. They 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 need to they need to go together. And so I, I think that invitation to not just believe, but to but to allow your belief to um, cause you to follow wholeheartedly is I just think that's a um, a journey that many people need. Mm, so important. And and I think that we can look at our country today and say, wow, there has been a shift from followers of Christ to fans of Jesus mm -hmm. that has led to some spiritual apathy and moral decline that we're, uh, we're, we're deeply concerned about today. And we need to get back to that follower mode yeah. of, of Christ. Yeah, I do think that there's a sense in which um, culture makes it more clear, you know, who are fans of Jesus and who, yep. are, who are followers. Because look, if you're a fan, then once you start to experience some pressure, once you feel a little persecution, once it's not the popular thing to be, you're gonna back away from it. Yep. And and we see this at church. It's the people who, they, they come once in a while, they hang out in the back row, they believe. At some point, the pressure from culture is gonna either bring them in yep. or it's gonna cause them yeah. to step away. I don't think that's all bad. I, I think there's something about that that can that's be very good. healthy for the church to, you know, to make that a little bit more clear. Yeah, I often think that's the that's the faithful discipline of God mm -hmm. with His people. My my daughter has a, a sign that she wrote and uh, taped to the wall above her bed, and it said something like, um, "The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Mm -hmm. It's about what you're made of. Yeah, and if you're if you're made of of fan material." toward Jesus, yeah. you're gonna have a very different result when you feel pressure than if yeah. you're made of follower material. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. So yeah. that we, it gives us an opportunity to recognize uh, when things aren't working, when we're not uh, of the real stuff and gives us a chance to change. Yeah, yeah, when the heat is on, you, you, find, you find that out, which is really what Jesus, in John 15, I talk about this in the book, when Jesus is with his followers, uh, they are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where Jesus says to them, if you remain in me, I remain in you, you'll bear much yeah. fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. It's on that journey where Jesus knows the, the kind of pressure, the kind of heat that they're going to experience, that he reminds them, look, the most important thing is you be the branch. You stay connected to the vine. No matter what happens, just stay connected. Uh, because they were going to be tested in ways that he mm. knew, but they didn't even begin to understand in that moment. And so he prepared them yeah. by reminding them to stay connected. Um, Kyle, I love this new book, When Your Way Isn't Working. Uh, so many times I'm thinking, okay, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. My, 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 it's, it, what I, whatever I'm doing right now in my marriage, it's not working. 
Uh, I, I, I think I've got this figured out, right. but clearly my wife thinks I'm nuts. Yeah. Or with my kids, mm -hmm. or with my job, yeah. or with ministry, or the, with balancing my, my time with work, with family, all of these things. Uh, why did you write this book? What, what was it going on in your life that wasn't working? Well, pretty much everything you just said I can <laughs> uh, resonate with. I, you, you know, the title is when your way isn't working, but you could substitute, you know, when your marriage isn't working, when your parenting isn't working, when your faith isn't working, you know, when your job isn't working. Uh, and, and I had this um, season where I was just experience, experiencing the frustration of that, where I felt like I was putting my best effort into things, but I wasn't experiencing the fruit of it. And, and I, was, I was tired, um, I was frustrated, um, and I needed to be refocused on connecting to Jesus. So the, the, the way that I talk about this in the book is that there tends to be these prolonged symptoms that start to show up when your way isn't working, whether that is in, in marriage or parenting or, or your faith, whatever that is. And it's this prolonged discouragement where it's not just a few days, but months go by yeah. and you just feel discouraged and you're not sure why, that there's something in your life that isn't aligned. There's something in your life that isn't working. Or another symptom is uh, fatigue, where you're just worn out and tired. For me during that season, I, I went to my doctor and you know I said, hey, something isn't right. I just feel tired all the time. And I thought he's going to run some tests and give me some kind of medication, you yeah. know, tell me, you know, I've got low T because I'm a man, you know, a middle-aged man now. Like, I didn't know what it was, but I thought for sure he's going to write me a, a prescription. Of, and he's like, no, nah, you're good. Did all the blood tests. Everything came back. And he said, I think, I think you're tired. I think you're, you're worn out and you, you, mm. need, you need to rest. You need to focus on some different rhythms mm. in your life. And so when there's this fatigue that keeps going, uh, when there's anxiety, when that won't quit, that won't quit. And it keeps you up at night. Uh, you know, when you see these symptoms and they just hang in there because all of them are normal enough in the course of a day, because during the course of a day, we all have little things that aren't working right. But when they become part of our identity, they just mm. feel like they're defining our experience, that yeah. frustration, then it's a symptom of, I believe, oftentimes this um, disconnection spiritually that needs to be reprioritized. What are people going to get from this book? If they're feeling tired, if they're feeling anxiety, if they're feeling worn out and frustrated, what, what do they get from this? Well, I think what's different about this book than what they might typically get is when, when your way isn't working in some area, most of the time we pick up a book or we go to a conference, whatever it is, that would encourage us to fix it by changing these habits, behaviors, by um, working our way out of our way not working. Mm. And, and it's not that there aren't helpful things to draw from that, right? Like, sure, there are certain habits and behaviors that might need right. to be addressed. Stop watching so much TV, read your Bible more, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, set up some uh, screen time limits for your phone, all yeah. kinds of things that yeah. are helpful. But uh, what I would argue is that there is something um, much more foundational than that, and that is your connection to Jesus. Um, it's not quite as tangible, meaning a connection to Jesus versus here's my task list. Yep. Is, it's, it's not- Here's my formula, my recipe yeah. for getting out of this. You're saying plug back into Jesus. Yes, that, and that's the, that is the message of Jesus to his followers when he says, 
I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he gives them this metaphor. Yeah. Well, some of his last words to his disciples were not, okay, guys, here's the five-year plan for what I want you to do. And yeah. It is stay connected to me. And if you stay connected to me, then this production will come. But look, if you're going to just focus on production, if you're going to try to work your way out of this, you're going to just feel more frustrated. You're going to be more tired. The fruit that you produce might look good in a moment, but it's not sustainable. Yeah. There's not resiliency to it. It won't last. So connection is where it begins. That's harder. An example I like to give on this is if I come home from work and I need to mow my grass, but I also have told my wife I'm going to go for a walk with her in the evenings, I will be drawn to getting my grass mowed. Not because I like it more. I'd rather go for a walk with my wife. But mowing the grass produces something. Like when I'm done with it, I can check it off a list. I can look at it and see what I finished. Connecting with my wife is much less tangible. Now there's a cumulative effect that I can feel and experience. But the reality is I can go for one walk with my, my wife and I don't necessarily feel that that connection has produced something that I can point to. And yet what I, what I know is that that connection is more important than, mm. than the production. And, and so whether it is with my wife or whether it's with Jesus or with my kids, if I can focus on the connection, my experience is that the production will come. Yeah. I love the picture that Jesus paints there when, with his words when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you'll bear much fruit. Because um, as a guy who likes to get out in the backyard, uh, even though I don't have a farm, I actually have a tractor in okay. my grass. Okay. So it's sort of looking forward <laughs> to a farm. I like that. But I just don't have, I don't have the, the animals yet. Uh, and no land to plow. Yeah. But this idea of removing a branch from the vine, uh, I know what's going to happen to the branch. I know what's going to happen to the fruit. They're, they're, it's going to be non-existent, withered, and terrible. Um, and yet, it seems so easy for us to get distracted as branches removed from the vine. In fact, that's probably why Jesus said to them, remember, yeah, remember, that's right. stay in the vine. Abide in me. Keep yeah. my words in you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, that tells me that's going to be a frequent temptation or a frequent occurrence. You have to remind yourself... What are some of the things that can sneak up on us yeah. to, 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 to detach the branch from the vine? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus says in that passage, I think it's 11 times, if I remember right, in that brief section, 11 times he says, remain or abide in me. And, and so he keeps coming. He keeps coming back to that. I think it's because he knows they're going to experience some persecution that can disconnect them to the yeah. vine. They, they feel disillusioned because they thought following Jesus was going to be maybe easier or more mm. comfortable than it was going to be. So when you feel disillusioned with life, you feel discouraged by some of your circumstances, that can create disconnection. I think distractions oftentimes create disconnection. You, you know, m my wife um, a few years ago said, hey, I feel like you're coming home and laying on the couch and getting on your phone. And I didn't, I didn't think I was doing that. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was in that kind of a rhythm. And then I started to notice that I was tired. And instead of connecting with her, instead of connecting with kids, you know, I was disconnecting with distractions. Didn't, mm. didn't mean to, didn't think I was doing it, but I was distracted. Easy. Just easy. And the same is true in, in my connection with Jesus. Like the easiest thing in the world is to have the same times I used to give God my early mornings, my nights before going to bed. 
focusing on other things. Wake up yep. in the morning, I've got all kinds of distractions and at night, checking through things on my phone. And so yeah. distractions can cause sure. disconnection. And there's a thousand justifications for those things. Yeah. Kyle, would you give me some advice here? Because um, I'm 53 years old this year, and I think there's a finish line coming mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to this earthly platform. Uh, I, I feel like I've, I've got this avatar that I, that, I, that I walk around in, and there's only so much time. And so I want to be productive. Yeah. And I find myself, I can, be, I can burn the candle from both ends, and I love it. And I want to travel and I want to go. And I think, look, at some point, the sand runs through the hourglass and I'm done with what I'm doing here. And yet it never feels like enough. Yeah. It never feels like I can't possibly do it. And I know in the back of my mind that connection with my wife, connection with my children and connection with people and with God is really most important. But it fights with the desire to want to do so much for all of those people. Yeah. What's What am I missing? Well, I... I for me personally, and what I've experienced in, in talking with people as a pastor about this, is that we tend to schedule things that I'll call production. These things that we know we need to get done, tasks that need to be accomplished, uh, opportunities that just seem too good to say no to. Those things all make the calendar. And then we try to fit in connection. Yes. Like, okay, I have some time here. I'll spend that with God. I've got some time here with my wife. Yep. And we fit that in to what we've already scheduled. And I think... And I know for some people, it's not, it's only possible to a certain degree. But if you can flip that and you can say, I'm going to schedule my connection and then I'm going to fit in my production, meaning that yep. I'm going to give God my mornings. It's non-negotiable. Okay. So whatever yeah. time I'm going to yeah. wake Practical up. examples would be great here. Yeah. Whatever time I wake up in the morning, I, I'm going to set my alarm, you know, 20 minutes earlier than that. And I'm going to make, I'm going to schedule my connect. I'm going to schedule an appointment yeah. with God. I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to give my wife the first 20 minutes when I come home from work. We're going to sit on the couch together. Uh, we're going to talk about our day. I'm not going to have my phone on me. If she's watching this, she might be rolling her eyes. Yeah, because man, you're, I, you're but, putting yourself on the hook right, right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but scheduling it instead yeah, of trying to I love that. In. I love that. Schedule the connection time as your priority, and then see if you can fit all the to-dos in around those things. Now, obviously we have things like work, yes. I gotta make a living, we gotta pay the bills, right. we gotta keep the lights on, but the concept the I concept. think is right. Yes. That is absolutely right. How can I do that to the maximum degree possible? I, oh man, I love that. All right, we, we, we've got so many things that I wanna talk with you about. Uh, you have a chapter in your book called Growing Pains. Uh, vaguely familiar phrase. What is that all about? <laughs> you know, I, I talk in there about- Were you secretly I, a you growing know, pains I'm fan? I'm trying to remember if I, <laughs> if I reference you in there at all. I wasn't no, secretly- It's such a great phrase, and, and we hear it all the time because it's so true. There is pain in growth. Yeah. And, and, and how do we look at those growing pains as bad things because they're uncomfortable or as yeah. good things because we need them? Yeah, well, the agricultural metaphor in the Gospels that Jesus often uses, but certainly in John 15, is that- growth often requires um, manure, right? It often requires things that are difficult, things that are hard. And, and through that, there's uh, production. Through that, the mm. vine becomes stronger. You know, one of the examples I talk in there is how, you know, trees that don't experience any wind uh, are, are brittle. They don't, they don't mm. hold up very well. And so we, we, need, we need difficulties, we need struggles in order to help us produce more. To, and so to understand, okay, I'm going through something that's difficult here. How does God want to use that to, to help me grow? 
Yeah. You know, not to get caught up in why this is happening, but to get caught up in how God wants to use it to, to, to deepen me, yeah. to teach me uh, dependence, to help me find a different kind of peace, to, to put my hope in him instead of something that I've been putting my hope in. And so, you know, those, those things are almost always challenges, almost always difficulties, but growth happens. That's why James says, you know, don't, uh, don't regret it when you go through something difficult because the testing of your faith develops perseverance and, and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete so that you can, you can grow. So Kyle, how do you connect with Jesus? What's the best ways Give us top three ways to stay connected with Jesus so that our, our, our lives are marked by fruitfulness and a sense of security and stability and, and, and mental health. Is it reading the Bible? Is it prayer? Is it, how do you do it? So I would say, a few things I would say. One I mentioned is give God your mornings. I think if you start your morning off in, with prayer and scripture and a few minutes of journaling, I think that sets the tone for your day. I think connecting with him early um, helps you live in that the rest mm -hmm, of the day. It helps mm -hmm. you stay connected. I think that's a really biblical thing. We see it throughout the Psalms. We see Jesus do this in Mark chapter one, where he wakes up early in the morning yeah. and he goes and he spends time. Before, before the sun rises, Before right? the sun rises. Yeah, I picked up that verse one time and um, I've kept it with me most of the time uh, where I'd wake up early in the morning before the gym earlier than I needed to because I thought, well, I'm going to try this. Before the sun comes up, I'm going to go out to a lonely place and I'm just going to pray and I'm going to read the word. Yeah. And uh, it, it became my habit. Now, since I've not been able to go to the gym, there went my mornings with the Lord too. Yeah. So I got I to bring those back. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, what I love about the example of Jesus is in that story, he's at a house. People from the village all come to that house to see him that morning. He's not there. So they all come with expectations. Yeah. When he comes back from his time with God, they have these ideas of what he should be doing for them. And Jesus says to his disciples, actually, we're going to go on to the next town. He spent time with God, so he knew what he needed to do that day mm -hmm. instead of letting all the people in that village determine what his schedule was going to be. Boy, that's so important. And, and so I think there's something powerful about giving God your mornings. I would also say, don't try to do it alone. Like most of us think of connecting with Jesus as this very personal journey, which it is. It's the lonely place. Like that's part of it. But equally true, it is something that we need to do with other people. Like mm. in that passage, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're not the branch, you're the branches. You're mm. doing it together. And so much of the New Testament is written with the assumption that you're not doing it alone. You're doing this with other people. And mm, I good. learned so much from um, a season when my way wasn't working of, of asking for help from, from people, of saying, look, I don't want to do this alone. Encourage me pray for me. Being willing to do that is, um, it, it helps us connect to Jesus more deeply when we're, when we're doing it with other people. Yeah, that's awesome. Giving God your mornings, not doing it alone. Is reading the word essential or could we just go through devotions written by other people based on Bible verses? Yeah. Well, I, I do think reading the word is essential. Um, I, I think there are certain um, devotions that are very much focused on that, right? So if I'm looking for a, a, a book to read or a devotion to go through, I'm looking for something as part of my time with God. I'm looking for something that's going to do that. It's gonna be rooted in scripture, mm. that that's the foundation, that it's not just, not that there isn't a place for this, but it's not just someone you know, giving their thoughts, but it is 
here's what the Bible says, let's explore that together. Um, there is something really powerful and it is essential that we open up our Bibles. I think there's something supernatural about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.